and welcome back once again to the Moral Minority Show, this time in a location that is brand new. You guys can't see it on your podcast platform, but I personally am recording from my brand new apartment. I just moved to Austin, Texas, and I am very, very excited to be here. Um, But today's not about me. Today is about discussing deconstruction with a very special guest. This Our guest today is Kyle Bumgarner. And he communicates on the internet through a platform called Orthodoxical. And we'll kind of break that down and, and um, understand what that platform is about. But before we get started, Josh and Kyle, uh, I've got a question for you two guys. You're both rap fiends. That it was my uh, nickname in middle school. Oh, rap fiend? <laughs> nice. Kyle Rap Fiend Bumgarner. Nice. Love that. It was on, on Facebook, yeah. Perfect. I didn't have Facebook in middle school. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so I'm going to give each of you guys 30 seconds to okay, tell yep. us who the best rapper is in oh, present Lord. day, the active, currently active, and why. <sighs> okay. Um, uh, for, it's uh, definitely Drake. Uh, this man has had a decade of dominance. He literally just got the billboard. I'm straight award. up about to log off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, and I knew you, and I knew you were going to do that because you, because you, you know Kevin Garcia, and that's literally that's literally what we do at work all the time. Oh my goodness! Uh, but no, it's Drake, man. Drake, Drake not only has the 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 prolific quality, um, but you know, even though he makes a makes a variety of different music for different audiences, when he decides to get really lyrical, he gets busy. Um, exhibit uh, 195 million was a uh, lemon pepper freestyle that he just put out this uh, you know a couple couple months ago now. I mean he just he just he ate that. And so uh, lyrically, I think he's phenomenal. I think he he has such a diverse palette of different talents and abilities. And I I, I just feel like the guy is a phenomenal artist, songwriter, producer. Or a performer, a rapper, it's just got the whole package. Go ahead, go ahead, Kyle. You do your thing. Go say Kendrick. Go ahead, say Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> to quote another rapper, uh, Drake. <laughs> Drake. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, you're right. You're right. You you named who I would have said. Um, oh, let's go. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, my answer would have been. Well, yeah, my answer would have been Kendrick or Cole. Um, just like, which is, it's almost even hard to call them active at this point, just because mm-hmm. they're so, I mean, Cole just hasn't had a new album, but Kendrick has been kind of keeping things hush hush for a while now. But mm-hmm. I think when you talk about my, here, here's my thing about Drake. Let me, let me start there. So mm-hmm. Drake, I think is a really, I think he's a really talented rapper, but I think, I he almost doesn't fall into the subgenre of hip hop that I think a lot of other rappers do because I think he he's just like kind of like what you just said is that he's so much more of a performer in general. It's like yes, he can rap, but he also brings so much more to the mm-hmm. table in terms of like his his singing and his lyricism and 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 just all the different um styles that he puts into his music and so mm-hmm. it's hard for me to just label him strictly number one like as a rapper in the in the vein of like a, a jay-z or a nas or mm-hmm. um or somebody like that so i think it, if you're talking about somebody who was like specifically dedicated to the craft of rapping i would have to probably say best out would be kendrick 
Gosh, I can re- I can really appreciate how you just articulated that. It's much better than most of my <laughs> naysayers on. Yeah, this topic. I will say I <laughs> was really hoping that Kyle would not say Kendrick because I have heard Josh um, like engage heavily in the Drake Kendrick debate so many times, <laughs> literally like ten times in the past year. Where I'm so, like, so here's here's what I was seeing um, uh, a little bit ago, and I can't remember. I was having this conversation with somebody else about. I think they had this conversation on the Breakfast Club not too long ago, and they yeah. were that people were going back and forth. And as I was listening to that conversation, I had this epiphany that it's almost like the Michael Jordan, LeBron James debate. Not not necessarily that they're, that's a one to one comparison, but in the sense that like. They're two amazing players that played in two different eras and played two completely different positions. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's like, oh, LeBron had way more assists than Michael Jordan. Well, Michael Jordan, that was not his role on the Bulls. Like right. his his role was to get buckets and his right. role was to like have people pass him the ball. And, and right. LeBron's role is more of a even though he gets buckets, he's also just much more of a facilitator. Yeah, he's a and then Jordan player. was a lot more of a defensive, like shutdown kind of guy. Yeah, and so I think it's like I think when it comes to Drake, it's like if you took Drake and some of the other rappers that are out here, they just they just they play different positions essentially, and no, so it's I, like I it's respect. it's hard to make that comparison. I respect that. If we if we could just uh, 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 chase this rabbit for just a little bit longer, something that we will agree on one hundred percent is I got to give a shout out to my boy J Cole because I ca- I cashed a, a, a check on uh on instagram that i i really i wrote a check on instagram that i really needed him to cash i said Uh that i i was trying to say lyrically he's better than kendrick but i said he's greater than kendrick and uh and i really needed him to like you know like kendrick's gonna make a better album because kendrick that's more his style is to make a fun thematic you know like Mm -hmm. really deep you know savvy album but uh when i say cole lyrically delivered on this new project Facts. Like I mean, it was unbelievable. Facts. Like shout out J- Jermaine Cole, congratulations! <laughs> and for a guy to be like just heavy, heavy hip hop, not really trying to make like any singles or anything like that, and still do three hundred and ten thousand first week is what he's expected to do. I mean, that's just that's just amazing. So shout out J Cole. Just wanted to throw that out there. You, you cashed my check, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> how how refreshing was it to hear a rapper talk about? like real like struggles and weaknesses outside of just like their external reality. Mm-hmm. Like he literally has a song on the album called pride is the devil and how like, you know, moving without humility in these different circles and particularly like, and even the song where he talks about like his son and like his son, you know, growing up and he, he I mean, he has a line basically about like, I don't want to fight. He's like, I just like try to act tough you know, just to like bluff because that's what I'm supposed to do, but that's not what I want to be. And that's not who I am. I was like, <laughs> you imagine any other rapper <laughs> saying something like that and people being like, yeah, like that, you know, like it's just the way that he worked that in and, and lyrically, uh, just incredible. He's phenomenal, man. Goated, goaded. Well, listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of stuff. Joel knows nothing about tune in next time <laughs> to hear us discuss <laughs> Um, Chinese politics with our dear friend Ted Tyler. <laughs> Go ahead, say the guess so we can have a really awkward moment on you. Say the oh, man. <laughs> no, um, let's uh, let's go ahead and get in get into things. So I'm really glad, yeah. Josh and Kyle, that you guys are bonding so much. This is going to make today's <laughs> conversation 
really engaging Dude, and exciting. You're the, you're the reason I have a podcast. So I have a podcast <laughs> in general and Joel's the reason why he, he hooked me up. I was a lonely podcast orphan and I didn't know what I was doing. And Joel swept me off the streets and, and showed me what to do. Yeah. It's, it's one of those situations where like, I know a lot about technology um, and so I'm like, oh, I guess I'll do podcasting. Like that's what everybody's doing nowadays. And Kyle's like, I have a great idea for a podcast and I'm going to like actually commit to like um, engaging like really regularly and getting consistently top notch guests, which, which we do too on the moral minority. But Kyle, I'm just really impressed by the guests you've had and the consistency. You're on episode like 27, 28, right? In a year? Yeah, something like that. Part of that was due to being unemployed. Hashtag pandemic struggles. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, man. But, but, you know, we, we're, we're out here. We're, All right. We're making it work. Yeah. All right. So I am employed now in case anyone. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Um, so on that note, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and tell us about your podcast and kind of your vision behind it? Yeah. So um, I started my podcast. My, my podcast is called the Orthodoxical Podcast, which is an offshoot of the page that I run on various social medias called Orthodoxical. Um, and I initially really did not want to start a podcast. Um, just because I felt it was kind of like, you know, who else needs a, another white man in his parents' basement in his mid-20s starting a podcast kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but I actually had two roommates that were also doing their own podcast. And they were like, dude, it's a great way to put content out and engage with people. And so I, um, I started it in around like August, September, just mostly just to have conversations with people that... I thought were really interesting and uh, around topics that I thought needed to be discussed. And so um, my, my background is actually in, um, in counseling and mental health counseling. And so I, um, I have my master's in counseling and uh, I hadn't gotten to do a lot of that work because of the pandemic. And so getting to sit down with somebody and kind of process through something and hear that story was a nice way to, to flex those skills. Mm -hmm. um, but my, my goal for the podcast was really just to introduce and really uh, a sub goal of, of orthodoxical in general was just to introduce the, the greater Christian world to some really awesome thinkers that I think really embody um, the best of, of uh, Christendom. Cause I feel mm -hmm. like so often when you particularly in America, when it comes to like somebody being like, who is the Christian representative of something like that, uh, we we just get handed a whole lot of um, not so great examples of mm. of who's speaking for Christians and what they're doing. And I think because of that, uh, a lot of people just have a very bad view of what Christianity is and what it could be. And there's just so many good people that are doing amazing work out there. And so the podcast really was something that I wanted to say, like, okay, who are some voices or people? Um, that are just killing it right now and people need to hear from them and they need to hear um, some of the conversations that they're having and, and uh, what's coming around from those. So that's, that's kind of the, the gist of how the podcast started. Wow. That's, that's perfect. Well, Kyle, we're, you know, this season on the moral minority, we're talking about deconstruction and we're asking the fundamental question of why do people undergo faith transitions? Why is that something that's very common nowadays and that people are talking mm -hmm. about really openly and what are some of the effects on theology, culture, and politics as a result of that. And so Kyle, why don't you go ahead and share with us um, examples of faith transition? Like maybe tell us your 
faith story. Um, like mm-hmm. if you, whether or not you grew up in a community of faith, what your discipleship journey has been like, and if you experienced any deconstruction yourself. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I, um, I grew up in a, I grew up in a really Christian home. Um, my, my mom actually became a Christian through an organization called Young Life. Uh, so she was really big uh, into Young Life. And then my dad kind of was just a good old Southern Baptist boy, um, married my mom, and then we came along not too far after. And so grew up, uh, grew up in church, kind of grew up in that, um, you know, the going to youth group, church on Sundays, like that sort of thing. And I think um, what I will say about that is I think a, a point that I've noticed that is different from, I think, a lot of stories that we're hearing now about deconstruction, um, particularly from people that have kind of grown up in church and what it looked like for them was that my parents, my parents loved um, my parents loved Jesus and they loved the Lord and they loved church and, and all the things that you know, kind of came with that, but there was never, I never quite felt this like rigidity or pressure, um, into it or this, this kind of necessarily, uh, this necessary fear of things sort of outside the church or, or in particular, um, spheres, or even in terms of like people, um, you know, like I went to a, I went to a public school. Um, my dad works, um, in higher education, at a school that is um, like 75% minorities, um, uh, racial and ethnic minorities. And mom uh, is a counselor. So she's seeing people from all different like socioeconomic backgrounds and different things like that. And as I look back on it, I think there was just never quite this rigidity of like, you know, we saw, we watched all different kinds of movies and TV shows growing up. Like there wasn't a whole lot of restriction there. And like being at a public school, it was like, you just met everybody and anyone. And like, you had to learn how to like interact with people from all different backgrounds and all different ideas about life and faith and stuff like that. And so um, I think in some ways that may have been a a helpful role in determining where I ended up in my faith because from what it sounds like for a lot of people was that they had an opposite experience where it was like they were told you need to be afraid of these kinds of people either implicitly or explicitly right they were told like you need to be afraid of these people you need to be afraid of these ideas you need to be afraid of th- these kinds of media or what have you and so when they actually you know in like intellectually honestly interacted with these ideas for the first time they end up recognizing that they're not as dangerous or even like they might even be good. And so um, I think that's what causes a lot of dissonance for people. And I just, I'll say like, for me, I never quite had that experience. Um, But so anyway, I grew up in church. Um, I was heavily involved with the ministry of young life. My mom, um, because she had, you know, it had been such a huge impact on her life. She helped bring on, um, a staff person to our area. And so we helped start Young Life um, in Stafford, Virginia, where I'm from. And so I was in high school. I got to play a big role in that. And that was kind of my like, that was kind of my like niche in high school was like the the fun, not not super churchy, but still like, you know, love Jesus, youth group, ministry kind of kid, you know, still played sports and um, uh, was involved in different things. But that was kind of like my main identity. Um, and then I went away to college 
and um it was college was a really it was a really really hard time for me um i think because like so in high school i'm trying to think about how to say this without being too arrogant but like i just i was very well connected i had a lot of friends i was very like popular and and well liked and well known in my in my community and in my high school and different things like that and so i think going from having like this big kind of like network and and safety net and being like the big fish in a in the pond to like being at a huge state school and not really knowing anybody or like not having um a whole lot of uh connections there was definitely really hard and then um within my first couple of months there I actually and I, I didn't realize that that's this at the time but I I started to develop like these really weird thoughts and and thought patterns and and stuff just really started to spin off the rails and I was really anxious about the content of these thoughts and the things that were happening um and it wouldn't be until like four or five years later that I found out that it was actually obsessive compulsive disorder um and so just brief tangent on that is that OCD people have a lot of different thoughts about it but it's not just um you know counting numbers or like contamination or anything like that. It's basically uh, uh, the root of OCD is that your brain feels a level of uncertainty and it tries to remedy that uncertainty by performing certain compulsions. Um, and so the, the theme of your obsessions can be a wide variety of things. And for me, one of the things I, I remember this vividly, I was, I was at work and I was working as a lifeguard and just randomly this thought popped into my head. I'd never thought anything like this before, but I had the thought, you know, what if God doesn't exist? Like, what if this is all just like, uh, like I'm just kind of giving all of this to nothing. And, and I, you know, I'm doing all these things and it just is like a complete joke sort of thing. And, you know, like my immediate reaction was like, no, that like, what? And then like the OCD part of it kind of kicks in where it's like, well, you had that thought. So maybe deep down you believe it. And then you get in like the spiral and um, it can definitely be tough to tell the difference between OCD and, and just like general honest doubt. I, I would say, you know, probably the more debilitating you're like, if you, if you are buying a JSTOR, um, subscription so that you can read articles on the big bang to see if there was like some sort of like divine element to it. And, and you're like, I'm like, I'm reading a physics paper at 3am that I don't understand. Like maybe, maybe something is wrong. Dude, with you actually my, paid for a JSTOR subscription. You, say? you actually paid for a JSTOR subscription. That's wild. Dog, I was, I was like, I was in a bad way. It was one of those things where it's like, I literally, like my brain was like, we have to figure this out right wow. now. So it was like, all right, 3am J store. Like we're reading that's, about quantum physics. I don't understand incredible. any of this, but maybe it'll tell me I can like finally, like for sure, for absolute certainty, know if God is real. And if like what I'm, I'm doing makes sense. And so <laughs> Dude, that that's, kind of, that's almost a scam. It's like thirty five bucks a paper, typically. Oh, it's it's, it's awful. Wild. It's the worst. Like I've been mooching <laughs> like off of either my school or my company for like nine years now. Yeah, I'm so thankful to have had. See, that, that was the thing, man. Was that I tried to I tried to get in through like the Academia U or like use like my JMU. I went to James Madison University. I tried to use my JMU email and it wouldn't let me do it. I was like, mm. "Dag on it, I'm gonna have to." 
And so I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm just going to go to bed. And then, you know, my brain was like, no, we're not. We're going to figure this out. Oh, <laughs> okay, you know, you know that question that people have been figuring out about divinity or have been questioning about divinity and is there a God? We're going to figure that out tonight. <laughs> at 3 a.m. That's beautiful. So, uh, so um, <laughs> but that, that really kind of kickstarted for me um, at beginning to like look at the different parts of my faith and examine them and, and really just a, an intense period of, of doubt and, and questioning and, and wondering what, um, you know, like wondering, okay, like, is this all real? Is this, do I just believe this because this is what I've been taught my whole life? Um, is there actually any evidence? Am I, and, and what was hard was that I was in a Christian community that was, really kind of being in the, I led young life in college as well. So being in the young life community, there was just a lot of focus on like evangelism and, and the outworkings of that. And um, yeah, so it, people just weren't asking those kind of questions. Like at a lot of people who had, and a lot of young, uh, the young life people had like just become Christians. And so they were fairly new in their faith and they were just like still in that kind of honeymoon phase of like, God is so great. And he just loves me and he forgives me for my sins. And man, isn't this the best? And I was like, you never even seen God. Like, how do you know? <laughs> or, you know, just like, and I'm just asking like, how do you, you know, how do you know about this? Or like, what I prayed about this. And, um, and, and there were just so many like little events here and there that just kind of led, um, you know, to that moment of deconstruction or, uh, so yeah. And we'll probably get into this a little bit more, but, what ended up kind of where I guess I'd say, you know, leaving a lot out at this point, but mm -hmm. I, I talk about my experience in terms of renovation rather than deconstruction. Um, I, I still use the phrases like doubt and stuff like that. Um, but when I look back, I don't think there's, there's not necessarily anything that I've particularly deconstructed from per se, but there are ways that my faith I think has like expanded um, and there are things that like I've recognized and added to my faith um, since um, since I've gone through that period where it's like, OK, there are things that I that I want that I'm going to hold on to. And then there are other things that I now recognize are important to um, what I consider to be an, an orthodox understanding of, of Christianity and things that I think even if I don't find them important, I think that. um I think that there's room for them, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's where I'm like, I'm probably a little bit different than some people who like have, have like radically sort of changed how they believe uh, a lot of things. I, I would say that like, I definitely believe and like my faith looks different than it did when I was in high school and college um, and even immediately after, but I'd say that's more the result of me like reading and learning and adding more to my faith and, and renovating the, my house of faith rather than kind of just taking things apart or, or replacing things. That's really, that's a, that's a, I like, that's a, that's a fresh perspective than what we've gotten um, so far. One in this series and then B, even anything that I've seen, I think a lot of people are doing what you're doing, but I think the way you articulated it as mm -hmm. adding to expanding, um, you know, I, I think, I think that's just been, um, that's a, that's a refreshing take on this whole subject. You, you know, interestingly, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, um, this morning I was, uh, I was, uh, driving and listening to, it's just this YouTube video of, of, of uh, 
John MacArthur and N.T. Wright. And oh, uh, wow. How did they get those guys in the same room? They didn't. And there's no way that's ever going to happen. I mean, I think, you know, N.T. would be open to it. Uh, I don't I don't think uh, MacArthur, which, by the way, real quick side note, uh, my buddy, me and him on the phone the other night, he reminded me John MacArthur is 81 years old. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Really? Isn't that crazy to think about? That is wild. That's insane. Um, so yeah, uh, but Dang. it was it was showing back to back clips of them talking about the subject of justification, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you probably know where I'm going, yeah, a, a little bit. It it felt like listening to the difference between a child talking about justification and like a professional within a discipline talk about justification. <laughs> if, if I'm honest. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, you know, MacArthur, like as as best he could, he was trying to stay faithful to what, you know, to the Reformation's under, orthodox understanding of of uh, of justification to kind of the Martin Luther and, um, uh, you know, perspective and kind of our, our Western kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. And and then and then you would flip over to N.T. Wright and N.T. Wright's like, well, we need to dig into the Greek. We need to dig into this cultural context. We need to dig into. He was like, you know, that word, it's like a ship of different things. And we have to really break down like all the different aspects of what that word means. It's not just this kind of simplistic law court word. It has right. so many implications. And yeah. and I think that is the distinction that and that's the thing that we miss a lot of times as we develop early on in our Christian faith is we miss some of that really good, rich breakdown. And and like N.T. Wright, sometimes he does go a little all over the place, but he's not exactly someone that you could listen to and not be able to like somewhat follow. Like he, he's not like he's not just like, let me put the cookie jar on the roof and you jump for it. You know, right. Like yeah. he, he's, he's still he's still a, he, he's a shepherd at heart and he, and he knows how to explain. And, you know, he's literally got a whole uh, New Testament um, study called, you know, Matthew for everyone or, you know, Revelation right. for yeah. everyone. You know? And so. I, I, but I think we miss out on guys like that because we're so used to listening to guys, listening to guys like John MacArthur, who have this just very overly simplified, kind of uncritiqued understanding of theological things. And I think N.T. Wright's like, well, wait, let's get back, let's try to get at the heart of what Paul's really saying. And it may be a little complicated, and it may be a little hard to get, maybe because Paul is a genius, <laughs> you know, but you have even Peter say that, Hey, there's some things that our brother Paul wrote that are very difficult to understand. You know, it's like, if Peter's saying that, then it's okay for us to read Paul and it'd be a little complicated. But I think what happens is when we don't do that, when we don't have those more sophisticated um, understandings of what Paul was writing, what Jesus was doing, the performance of Christ, what the vocation of the Messiah really was, Mm-hmm. What all these terms that Paul used, justification, right. all these things really meant, then what happens is we end up similarly to your similarly to your story in college, and we're like, ah, does this work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, does this does this make sense? Um, and and you know, and of course we have the um, the unfortunate label of having been the the uh, intellectual tradition that rejected the Enlightenment. Right. You know? um, and so we, we've just got a bunch of intellectual problems on our hands if we're not careful. And I think that's why I'm really intrigued and, and love what you're doing in your space is you're bringing in thinkers that 
we didn't spend our time early on in our faith reading these thinkers. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, we got a faith that wasn't academically checked very well or tested very well. Right. And, and, and really, it's got a lot of things that are left wanting and it's going to lead us to some existential and intellectual crises later on as we try to put the pieces together and be like, wait, the world's a little bit more complicated than John Piper said, or than John MacArthur said, or than Albert Moeller said, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and it's not super shade to those guys. Like, I, I think, I think, I think MacArthur is getting a little, a little, a little, uh, it is for me. Yeah. yeah he, he, <laughs> I'm he, saying he, it on this podcast right now. Yeah. He's a little over the, he, get he's, your stuff he's, together. Yeah. Al Moeller. Taking, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> some hey, people have taken some stances that are over the, but you know, Piper, I really think he's trying his best to be faithful, even yeah. with some really erroneous and, and, awful things that that he thinks both culturally and theologically but it's like it yes we can glean some stuff from those guys but we need like some real critical healthy thinkers and i think if we were to really dive into some of their stuff it's going to help us a lot as later on we begin to ask these bigger questions because our stuff will have had a more critical lens and we would have had a more uh, a, a more critiqued and sophisticated understanding of what the Bible is trying to communicate. Yeah, man, that's so true. So the, the year after I graduated college, um, I did something called the fellows initiative, um, which is this year long program. Um, it's run, it's typically run through a church and what it is you do, um, you work a part-time internship at a local like marketplace job type thing. Um, you do that like three or four days out of the week. And then you take seminary classes, you volunteer at the church and in the community, and then you do a bunch of different like professional development, um, uh, like seminars and things throughout the year. It's a, it's an amazing thing. I talk about it all the time. Um, and, and really probably I'd say for 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 my faith and for um the person that I've become it's probably probably been the most formative thing that I ever did and part of the reason for that was that um I the place that I did the the fells initiative uh was in Charlottesville Virginia and so I had a lot of overlap with um with the University of Virginia and and you know a lot of people who had been there or worked there or, or was just kind of swimming in that atmosphere. And so because of, because of the university's presence, Charlottesville is just a very academic oriented town. Like a lot of times people are, are, you know, eyeing you up and down based on the letters after your name. And, <laughs> and, uh, so, and they're just like people, there are people that are, have like PhDs that are doing just like very like, mid-level work that you're like oh like this would never like you have a doctorate like why are you working this like very low-level position it's because everyone else (laughs) has more doctorates and more experience and different things like Mm -hmm. that and so but I'll, i'll say that for me that was one of the best things that could have happened um in that one of the elements that for one of my classes or one of my seminary classes that i took through the fellows program was that i had to have regular conversations with a non christian um just like just to have conversations and learn more about their particular worldview. Um, and um, just like literally just no agenda. It was like, Hey, like here, here are some like fundamental questions that a lot of human beings kind of wrestle with. Like, what are your thoughts on these things? 
And so it was the combination of doing things like that and like making friends sort of outside of the church sphere that were like super smart and just like really, really intelligent and people that you're like, okay, if Christianity isn't the answer, then these people probably have it because they're brilliant. Uh, and so it was making friends with those people and people that were within the church that were just like sharp and that were like, so the opposite of the kind of Christians that kind of like, you know, the Christians that you and I were talking about where it's like mm -hmm. their response to most things is just like, here's a Tim Keller sermon that I heard, or here's, <laughs> you know, X, Y, Z thing that I, an article that I found on desiring God kind of thing where it was right. like, no, like here, here are some other perspectives that we're going to look at, or here are some things that we're going to take in. And yeah, I think just the more, the more that you expose yourself to, to different ways of thinking, the more that you're able to easily um, see what does and doesn't add up, which I think in a lot of ways is what happened to me um, is, is in my conversations with people, I was really getting the best um, arguments that they had for why that they were living their lives the way that they did. And based on kind of what the answers that they gave, there were a lot of things where I was kind of like, you know what, that either I was either like, that doesn't make sense or it does make sense, but it makes sense because it fits within a framework that is essentially trying to be Christian without the label of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's trying to, um, John Mark Homer and uh, Mark Sayers say, it's like trying to have the kingdom without the king, where it's like, you want all of the, the brilliant, like, um, moral and ethical codes and, and the moral traje trajection, but you don't want any of the, the implications and the historical um, restrictions, quote unquote, that are placed mm -hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I've noticed as a phenomena in my circles recently, and I'd, I'd love to to hear what what either one of you honestly think about this. Um, but uh, so a couple of different phenomena is that, so like what you just said, um, where I listen to a lot of political commentary from people who are atheists or agnostic, and man, their ethical principles are pristine. I mean, as far right. as how they, how they view the world, how they view um, the marginalized, how 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 they nuance and uh, really uh, have a very sophisticated understanding of society. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's phenomenal stuff, and uh, and policy. I mean, they're they're brilliant people, but similar, they they kind of want the 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 kingdom without the king, and then. Right now, in in my um, kind of friend circle, I mean, everyone's kind of deconstructing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and the deconstruction um, predominantly looks like, um, predominantly looks like, uh, man, I love Jesus. He's phenomenal. He's got so much for me, but I can't do the church institution. Mm, like, I do. Yes. Do it. And I, I, and I've it, seen like one of three or four things. people say that in the last like couple of weeks. And it, it yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just like, it, and it's like, I get it. And I'm, I'm there, sure. you know, yeah. you, you, like you were talking, we were talking about before you, uh, before we got on, like you read the article I just recently wrote and, and it's just like, man, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm barely like 
right. in a space where I feel comfortable working at a Christian nonprofit. Like I love my right. job, love my coworkers, mm-hmm. you know, love what I get to do. But it's like, you know, it's like, man, right now, like Christian institutions are just tough because mm-hmm. they have so much of that um, kind of mildew and, you know, uh, residue from kind of just these, these, the kind of honestly the stuff that we're kind of running away from the stuff that we're, we're right. now hearing yeah. as people get a little unmasked we're hearing john MacArthur and albert moeller and these guys start to just just say you know right james white and all these other, and so it's like yeah like how how do you feel i mean you you know you have a discipline of uh of uh of, of you know of counseling how, how do you feel like what do you feel like is the best way to engage both of those sides, you know, cause you, you've, you've had the relational capital with people who, uh-huh. you know, are in the more secular world where they're, they're, they're just trying to live out great ethics that may not want the King, but also uh-huh. on the Christian aspect with people who are like, yeah, I love Jesus, but gosh, that whole like Christian thing. Like I, I can't, I can't do that. You know, how, how do you really engage that? Yeah, man, that's such a, uh, that's such a good question. And I think, Culturally, we're like figuring that out kind of as we go. Um, so what I'll say is, and and this isn't something that I have necessarily personally experienced, but like, so my mom, I, I shared this in one of my own podcasts. My mom actually worked um, at a church and had like a really bad situation with just a, a pastor who was just a jerk and and did a whole lot of like really bad and said a whole lot of really bad things about her. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, that's my mom. Like <laughs> you're not going to talk crap about my mom and, and get me to be gentle to you as like a brother in Christ or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I say all that to say that like, I have a seeing, seeing the different things that like he and and some of the elder board did and some of the ways that like they, um, that they like attacked and and judged and and labeled my mom. Um, and knowing that like, relatively speaking, the case that her, her case was relatively mild um, compared to some of the other things that we're hearing now from various like Christian ministries or leaders of, of people coming forward. Um, my thing is, I think I fully believe that like God is, is big enough and and powerful enough and and really kind enough to allow people's space to heal from uh from spiritual and and church abuse and and the ways that um people have been dealt with unjustly um like josh i even think of of your story in the article and i'm like if you didn't go back to church for another 20 years i'd be like makes sense you know <laughs> like that's just a really that's just a really awful really like profoundly wounding situation and mm-hmm. and to make or to demand that somebody immediately like enters back into the fray um of of a spiritual community given everything that happens with within a within their previous spiritual community um i think it's just unwise and 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 impractical. And I think people who have been in that space, they, it is totally fine for them to, to take some time off to, to heal and, and to grow and, 
and really kind of like inspect, okay, like what, what was it that really, you know, damaged me here and what, what pieces of my soul do I need to, to tend to in this moment? And so I hope people who, I hope people who like read my content and, um, you know, hear the things that I say, I hope they know that like, I'm, that's kind of the place that I'm coming from. in in many respects, um, because I think there, I think deconstruction in a lot of ways is complicated. Um, AJ Swoboda, I recently was on a, um, a zoom call with, with him and some other folks. And he was saying that some people's deconstruction is their attempt to follow Jesus better and other, and some people's deconstruction is their attempt to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Mm. And to me, that captured so much of what I, I think I see is that there, there's a deconstruction of people who were like, like you said, like, Oh, I just, I love Jesus. I love what he stands for, but I just can't follow him within this context. And then there are people who are like, I really don't like having, somebody have any kind of authority over my life or, or what I want to do. And I want to have agency to make decisions for myself, regardless of, of some sort of competing ethical system. And I think that those are good ways of categorizing it. But I think what we see is that so often um, those things are a mixture, um, right? Where if you, if you've been in a place where the spiritual authority over you has been abused, you're obviously going to want to try and find a place where you, um, you can have agency over yourself and your, and your decisions and, and your body and, and all these different things. Right. But I think people can get so wrapped up in trying to find that, that they end up, um, lashing out against and shirking, um, not just authority even, but like God given limits and, and limits that were meant to like protect us from, uh, and, and, and ways of being that were meant to protect us from ourselves and the ways that we can ultimately end up falling into destructive patterns, um, outside of that. And so I hope people hear me say that, like, when it comes to church and church community, like, I think you need to take as much time as you can. Um, that's, I, I think, God is, is kind and patient enough to deal for you to deal with those wounds. And then what I will say, and this is just kind of my, my personal experience is during my fellows year, I didn't necessarily have like that experience of like being wounded by church. Um, but I, I was the way that I viewed church in college was this is a place like I'm doing ministry throughout the week. I'm like, you know, leading Bible studies, reading and and doing all this stuff. And, Church is a place where I go to get like where I go to receive. That's where I go to get filled up. And it's about what I'm being inspired to to accomplish or whatever. And so like when it wasn't conformed to like my particular patterns, um, then I, you know, then it like it wasn't a, you know, like it, it was like, what what's the point of this? Like I'm already getting so much of God throughout the week. Why would I give my time on Sunday? And being doing the fellows initiative and, and being a fellow for a year in Charlottesville gave me such a better ecclesiology um, for for what the church is and how the church. The reason we call like a church service a service is because we are supposed to be serving God. Like we're we're presenting our worship as an act of of service to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And when we see that um, 
our worship is not just is not performative in the sense that God's not going to be like, oh, like you didn't give me your best this week, like boo on you sort of thing. But it's it's really just about showing up and ministering um, to each other by like letting letting our worship be an act of service to the Lord and letting the Lord serve us by meeting us in the places where we need to be met. Um, you know, that, you, you've been talking about um, this idea of church and, uh, and we've, we've discussed how church can really be uncomfortable or traumatic right. for some people. Uh-huh. Um, something I'm interested in particularly discussing with you, Kyle is how some people have found online communities. Um, yes of people who are maybe like-minded theologically or who are asking the questions that no one around them is asking. I think a lot of times in our deconstruction, in the world of deconstruction, there are so many people who begin or or continue or see progress in their deconstruction journey yeah. through podcasting or through podcasts, listening to podcasts, through Twitter and um, groups that are formed there, even like Facebook mm. groups. If you're like yeah. old enough to use Facebook, um, to still use Facebook, I guess. And or MySpace, you know, AOL. The, the MySpace <laughs> deconstruction community. Yeah, let's not forget them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Kyle, what has been your experience with um, finding communities of like-minded people who are really excited about the same um, things that you are and or yeah. maybe can be a community that's a saving grace for example, I, I know that when I was going through my deconstruction, I was asking, like, why is no one around me asking these questions? Mm. Everyone else is just content with um, just doing like, you know, just reading the Bible and having the same uh, yeah. theological takes they always have had. And then just sharing a very simple, you know, sharing Blame. what they would yeah. what they would label as the gospel. And what right. I would now label as part of the gospel, of, right. you know, just just a section of like, here's penal substitutionary atonement and nothing else. Yeah, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, just very content to have that have that what we may call milk and not really craving the meat of um, maybe other denominational traditions or asking questions that are yeah. new and relevant to our cultural moment that haven't really been answered yet um, or, or even changing one's mind. Even the idea of changing one's mind is, yeah. is considered too mm-hmm. dangerous. So what have your experiences been with online communities and, and you know, what do you think are some good and bad from online theological communities? Ooh, man, that is such a good question, dude. Um, I just had so many different thoughts as, um, <laughs> as they were going through. But well, I first I just want to say like I totally resonate with you on the just making like the 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 substitution of the cross. Like people are like that, that is it. And I want to say a word about that is that I think um I think one of the things for me when I started to recognize not necessarily flaws with that idea, but when I and I think a lot of people probably come to this moment where they're like, it's gotta be more than that. Right. In the sense that, you know, you're if if that was like, how how could we legitimately say if um, if that is like the crux of the gospel, how could my pastor stand up with a straight face and say all of our vocation matters? So like every every like 
every mm-hmm. job that you do works or, or is working to the glory of God. Pretty because that would be that would be untrue. Like if, <laughs> if the core of the core of the Christian faith is only about winning converts, then all of us should stop doing what we're doing and just try to convert convert as many people as we possibly could. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, and I think like so many Christians get to this point where like they've just heard like this is the gospel, like Jesus died for your sins, blah, 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 blah. They just they hear that like repeated, and that just kind of gets built into their like. Um, psychological framework for what the gospel is. And, and it's hard to shake when they hear something different. I know that was definitely my experience, but it was also, it was, it was disorienting, but it was also kind of like, Oh, like it's not just that Jesus died for my sins, but also that like the Lord is renewing everything Mm -hmm. in the sense that um, like, in the sense that like things still, things still hurt. You know what I mean? And I think that's a, and I think in many ways, like we have like this weird sort of almost like covert prosperity gospel mm-hmm. where like, we don't, we don't tell people that your life is going to be perfect when you become a Christian, but we all like, we implicitly give that to a lot of people mm-hmm. through, I mean, through a variety of ways, through like purity culture, through like um, our methods of discipleship, through, the ideas that like the linear progress that we have through the ways that people suffer, but we never really get into the idea of like, what do you do when like this, this, like, what do you do when you have like a faith in Christ? And this is part of my story. A good friend of mine from high school, college football player, um, got leukemia out of nowhere. And like, um, six months later was dead. And it's like, what, like how, you know, me preaching to myself, like the gospel, you know, like he needs to be saved from his sins. Like, that's great. Cancer still killed him. And that sucks. And I don't have, I don't have any sort of like framework for, for dealing with that. Or like, what does God have to say about cancer other than like, I guess he maybe got to go to heaven, which is like for in a lot of people's framework, it's like, maybe that's not even the case. Right. Mm. Um, and so I think that's just people recognize that um, people start to recognize that like that's, that can't be it. And so Joel, I think kind of what, what you're saying is that you start to like internalize these things. And it's like the more that people around you won't talk about them, it's like the more that you feel the need to talk about them. Mm-hmm. And then you're just so desperate to get, um, to get some sort of confirmation that you're not the only person dealing with this, that you just, you, you go online and you find different communities. And initially I think for so many people, there's this sense of relief of like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not the only person that's going through this. Or I, I feel a connection with people that are, that are going through these things. Um, and so in terms of online communities, I think there is, um, I think And I I will say that I've changed on this a little bit. I I think that there is a place and um, and then there is a beauty in the ways that online communities have shaped um, and and podcasts and things like that have shaped how people think through and work through their faith. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there, particularly for people that might not have access to these, to these kinds of like information and, and communities where you know their their viewpoint is welcomed or they they might not feel safe um 
expressing their views or whatever, like having, having a, an outlet and a space where they can process and do those things um, is, is like absolutely crucial. I think a caveat that I have is that I think that place should be called the local church um, mm-hmm. or, or if not the local church, it needs to be some kind of like extension of the, of the church but because of our, like what we just talked about previously, where the church has just effectively bungled that and has been a place of like just rigidity and um, spiritual abuse that in, in so many ways they've, they've squandered that opportunity and have given it over to these online communities and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think another caveat that I would offer is that I think um, I think there is a sense in which. There's ascension. So I, I think American Christian faith has a highly uh, consumerist element to it. Mm. And I think a lot of that um, plays off of the sort of like capitalist individualism that we um, sort of just kind of swim in as a culture. And I think in some ways that is a really good thing in the sense that like we we're allowed individual agency to make our own choices and to, you know, live our own lives and, and to have control over things that we um, in other cultures or contexts might not necessarily have control over. I think where that can become problematic is where we are encouraged to build our lives um, in the same way that we would build um, like our living room with furniture from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. And that comes at the cost of irregardless of what is or is not true. Um, So like if we get encouraged to say like, well, I like this part of Christianity, um, but I don't really vibe with this part as much. So I'm going to take this part out and I like this part of Buddhism. So I'm going to put that part in there, but I don't like this part of Buddhism. So I'm going to put in like agnostic humanism. Mm -hmm. And we just, we, we take and, and, and put these different things and we, we, I think we wrap it in the language of liberation to make us feel good about it, but it really just boils down to no, like that's what, that's what our culture is priming us to do is, mm-hmm. is to kind of just pragmatically take what quote unquote works instead of what is actually real. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier um, in terms of like what you were saying with like the, the complexity and, and how we need a more complex, like, um, wide ranging look at, at Christianity rather than like these very simplistic sound bites from somebody like a John MacArthur in the mm-hmm. sense that um, we like, we like, we crave simplicity. Like the human brain wants things to be easy and clear cut and simple. We want things to be good or bad. We want things to be, um, you know, just handed straight, uh, straight to us. And it's like, if this, if taking on this part of Christianity complicates my life in any way, well, I'm just going to get rid of it because I want, you know, I don't have time to deal with the cognitive dissonance of that. I have to like, um, you know, just make, make my life work essentially. And so I think, I think we do that at the cost of truth. And I think we need to start to learn about, okay, like how can we find something and find a place that's true to reality without giving into this consumerist notion to, to construct and, and build, in a way that is just profoundly um, individualistic to, to a fault. 
if the local church is not a safe place for people to process their doubts in deconstruction, then individuals going through deconstruction will find a place that feels safe to them, whether or not that place is allegiant to Jesus. Right. No, that's it. it. I I somewhat did it. I mean, I I wasn't like as kind of down and out as I am now, but I remember, so when the Trump presidency started, you know, kind of when his candidacy started in 2015. Yep. And, you know, he was just going off the wall. And I had always had some significant ideological issues with Republicans. It was more than just, hey, I'm disagreeing with your way of like fixing America. I was like, wait a minute. I think there's actually some like really flawed way that for the last 50, 60 years, right, you've yeah. been viewing the world and particular people groups within the world. Uh-huh. And so in many ways, Trump was just the ultimate manifestation of those worldviews. Right. He was the unmasking of all of that underlying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He said the quiet uh, part out loud. In a exactly. lot of <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And I remember when that was kind of happening, um, of course, you know, Christianity, a lot of evangelicalism went hook, line and sinker with everything Trump was was propagating and i was like okay there's really smart men and women around me who i know are going to reject what this guy is saying and i could barely find any i was finding very small circles mm-hmm. of people around me who, who could do that yeah. so what i do i ran to atheists and agnostics who were speaking truth to power and challenging trump and i'm not gonna lie i mean a lot of their stuff is really good like i'm, I'm not i'm not oh, yeah. sitting here and i like I, I wasn't finding really good content and really good yeah. like substantive material that was challenging um you know the the ideals that that trump was um you know expounding upon but i, I you know if it wasn't for the fact that when i found those spaces i already had such a healthy i'm not gonna say healthy it became i'm not gonna say rich it became rich over time but it just started off as healthy understanding of how jesus engaged the socio-political um if i didn't have that i could easily see myself having become prey to saying you know what if it's this or this i'm choosing this i'm gonna choose Mm -hmm. a a non-allegiance to jesus he's a great prophet he's got some cool ethics but right. I'm just going to I'm just going to rock with I don't know if there's a God and we just need to, to to fight for human flourishing and utopia. But thank God I was able to kind of build a rich uh-huh. understanding of Jesus sociopolitically um, so that I was able to say, man, I love listening to this crowd and I've got challenges for them. And I've, I've and I've got a I've got I'm not just sticking Bible verses to what they're saying, but I actually think that there's like a, a really rich way that they're engaged in the world that I think yeah. Jesus is more advanced and has an even more beautiful vision for. But it's like, yeah, to Joel's point, like I, I could have easily been prey to just being like, well, you know what? I'm an atheist because mm-hmm. <laughs> they've got better ideas over here. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, yeah. It would have been easy. And, and thank God that he, that he showed me who Jesus is mm-hmm. so that I didn't just jump off the ledge. Yeah. And it's, I think to me, man, that's, that's such a hard part is that faith and, and what faith is and what it means for our lives is just, it's such an emotionally charged uh, piece of our lives. And so when that is threatened and you're in this very vulnerable space and you go online, um, 
there are just so many ways that you can be swayed for good or for ill, right? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, when you're in a very emotionally vulnerable place, and you find people that are like, yeah, man, I don't, the fact that Christians are voting for Trump is ridiculous. Like, I don't understand it, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yes, thank you. But it's, it's when you, you find these places and you're, and you, you're getting the validation that you're hearing. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't always question the, some of the other things or like the totality Mm -hmm. of of what's going on behind it. And that goes both ways too, right? Like you can, which is honestly like, I think more people should have done that for conservative Christians where it was like, Oh, you're here. Like you say X, Y, and Z, but there's clearly this, this disconnect between the things that you're claiming to hold to be true in terms of like scripture and, and all these things. Mm -hmm. But over here you're wilding out and like, (laughs) not um, like, not, I don't know, just, just not adhering to scripture's commands or to the, to the whole of scripture. Mm -hmm. Like just the fact that, I mean, quick soapbox for a second, just Mm -hmm. the fact that, like that loving immigrants. And I just did a podcast on this with, um, with Daniel Montañez. He's a really smart, really awesome dude. The fact that like all over the old Testament, all over the new Testament, there's, there's verses like multiple verses, like way more verses than you will ever find about guns in the Bible that you will find (laughs) like that you will find verses about welcoming the immigrants and strangers. And that the number one issue that evangelicals were concerned about with the 2016 and 2020 elections was uh, keeping immigration as low as possible. Mm. Like, I mean, that's like defiance. Like that's defiance of God's word. That's like, like you're not even real. You're not the real quote unquote conservatives who like believe in a conservative approach to the Bible, because if you were, you would actually be taking these things seriously. You know? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> no, that's a bar. And, and, and just, you know, just a, a, a quick note on that. You know, one of the things that, I always found so frustrating when you would pose that because I, I ended, I was, you know, in a pretty, um, you know, in, intellectual, you know, church setting. I was working at a church that was kind of very high, like, you know, high DTS, um, you know, as far as like job positions, you had to, right. have to you know, get, get, you know, go through the rigor of DTS and yeah. very intellectual, very academic. And, you know, when I would challenge them with like, Hey, like, uh, that, that's just kind of antithetical to scripture to be so against, you know, brown people coming into the country. Um, the, the, the easy response was, well, you know, as a nation, you know, we are, you know, this, this is a, you know, the nation can have different policies than, than, than the ethics of, of Christianity. I was like, well, that's inconsistent because you, on the other wait, hand, wait, you've up. been what saying, that, "What does that mean?" I don't yeah. even understand. What does that even mean? So, so, so the idea that look, the, the socio-political, we can have, we can have certain, you know, policies on a socio-political standpoint that don't have to necessarily match up with some of the biblical ethic because America is not the church. You, you know what I mean? I'm sure you. Well, then, that. dang! Why don't you do the same? ideology with abortion or gay marriage right, exactly like, like i was so like i was so quick to be like wait but you've been saying and you know no this you know these guys that i was engaging with you know do not necessarily adhere to or have you know christian nationalist instincts right um you know but i was like but but ethically you do it in all these other areas you say man as a nation we're we need these healthy ethics 
um, for human flourishing, uh, you know, and, and for so many other reasons. And so it's like, why would you run away from that when it's an issue that all of a sudden maybe you don't like? Because it's politically inconvenient. Yeah. It's because it's not politically expedient. And well, so here's, here's my thing, y'all. And this is kind of where I've landed. um, Is that, man, so much of it is just demons. And I, and so I, I did not grow up charismatic in any way. I'm almost like, um, like opposite of charismatic where like, you know, I'd see people get the Holy ghost and I'm like, I'm trying like, Lord fall on me. You know, like, just, like, I'm like, I don't know, like I'm trying or I'm like, God speak to me. Kind of like, you know, like those people that, and like, I, you know, like from, I, like I think just from having a from having both my parents are counselors as well, and so ha- from having parents that were that way and and myself, like I've seen a, a lot of ways where like the God told me mm-hmm. has been like I'm like God didn't tell you that you're just a jerk or yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. just a criminal and <laughs> you're you're being crazy out in these streets. Um, but I think Tyler Burns um, from the Witness uh, said on a podcast a while back that like we're dealing with some very powerful demonic strongholds Mm, and like, it was hard as someone who's like a little bit more like skeptical and, and, and cynical towards those kinds of things. I was, you know, initially kind of like, uh, and then, um, it was really when the Ahmad Arbery situation started to unfold and there were, there were 20,000 people on a Facebook group, like supporting these men and like saying that they were like good Christian men and giving all of these reasons. And I was like, there is no logical, ethical, moral, mm-hmm. like you there. I don't care. I'm trying really hard to say bad words. I'm trying like, there, <laughs> there's like nothing that there is nothing that you could throw. If, if you're, if you're a person of faith, there's nothing that you could throw at this that would make what happened. Okay. I mean, it right. was just it like nothing. Right. With without just completely upending whatever your notion, whatever your supposed notion of ethics or, or Christianity was in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then I just watched mm-hmm. as like literally hundreds of thousands of people did exactly that. And I'm like, there is no like it just it doesn't make any logical sense. It doesn't make any emotional sense other than the fact that like there is evil in the world and it is influencing the 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 uh the ways that we see the world and the ways that um, we see each other and the ways that we see um, the ways that we see God and the ways that we enact our religion. And so that's, that's like my, my churchy answer to it. Obviously there's a lot more like complex, like sociological factors that play into that as well. And the ways that those, but at the end of the day, I'm just like demons. I've turned into like, I've turned into like a, like a backwoods charismatic. I'm just like, it's the demons. Right. Yeah. Demons did it. And and just real quick, I, I mean, like I I I think that's not even like not only is that not crazy that once again that is a that is a more uh, a conservative you know it's a more of, biblical way of looking at looking it. At thing, yeah, like it, it, like Paul was pretty clear. Like in I think it's like three sections of Ephesians, he talks mm-hmm. about the spirit, the power, the principalities right, yeah. and the powers. About you know, mm-hmm. like Ephesians, yep. Ephesians. Uh, uh, oh, what is it? Ephesians three. Oh no, Ephesians two. Early on, Ephesians two. Mm-hmm. Then in Ephesians three, he says, mm-hmm. you know, the the church is the manifestation to the powers of the principalities. 
Then in Ephesians 6, he gives a whole thing about needing to wear the armor of God so that you mm -hmm. fight against the principalities and the powers and not the flesh. And so it's like, it's like, Doug, you, if, if you read the Bible from a, even from a very like conservative, like, like, you know, more fundamentalist reading, you can't get away from the fact that, that spirits are working behind the scenes and we'd be quick to say, and the they're working, working in the, through human well, government. Quick to say, exactly, exactly. They're working in the government, but you know, it, you know, that, that's, that's where you see the, the sleight of hand and really the idols come out is they're very quick to say, and I want to be careful with they, but you know, sometimes people can be very quick to say, oh yeah, it's manifesting in the democratic party. Exactly. But it's like, yeah. it's so, it's so clear that it, it just, to me, I'm like that there's a, there's an arrogance there. Right. And I think a, a really a lot of these things getting really going way back to what you were saying about N.T. Wright and, and John MacArthur, like when you listen to any, either of them preach, I, for me, the biggest thing that I take away from either of them is, is just the difference of humility. Yeah. Like John MacArthur walks into a room and freaking owns the place because he's like, I've got what people came here to see. And like, mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to you. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't, really doesn't matter to me whether or not you accept it because I know I'm right. And if you don't, you're an idiot. Whereas mm -hmm. N.T. Wright just has this like, oh, he's like my, he's my British grandfather. That I, I know. That's had. what I say. I want to adopt <laughs> like, him as my grandpa, grandpa, him and Francis say? Collins. I want to adopt N.T. Wright and Francis Collins as my grandparents. Dude, yes. <laughs> for, for me, it's it's uh, for, uh, N.T. Wright and Tim Keller. I'm like Grandpa Tim and Grandpa Tom. <laughs> nice. um, but they, yeah, they just, the, the way that they just humbly posit their, what they believe to be true in a way that's confident, but also not like just weaponizing their, their truth um, or, or, you know, what they believe to be true is it's just so it's so rare. And, and you, we just, you see it, like you were saying, you see it all the time where people are like, we know that demons are real because they're in the democratic party. And like, I will not be swayed from this in any way. Mm. And you're just like, how can you not like, you can't even fathom, like you can't even think for a second that that might, that there might be something wrong in your own heart, mm. that there might be something wrong in your own party, that there might be something wrong. It's okay to be, it's okay to be confident in what you believe. But if you're like, for a second, I don't think this isn't real. And that's like everything. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's just faith in general, right? Like having you, we can't have certainty about everything. We can have confidence in everything, but we can't have certainty about everything. Mm -hmm. We just can't. That's good. That's good. You know, on that yeah, note, yeah. we, we got to wrap up pretty soon, but Kyle, as you've had this platform for about a year now, um, how have you faced kind of maybe criticism or this kind of ennui of being too conservative for progressives and too progressive for conservatives? How do you wrestle with that being in this very this space that's trying to be socially conscious and politically active and theologically robust while also maintaining orthodoxy and allegiance to Jesus? Um, how, do you, how do you wrestle with that? How do you um, engage that space well and not feel like an alien? <laughs> Yeah, dog. Um, the short answer is that I do feel like an alien. Um, <laughs> and, and getting back to um, kind of our, our previous discussion about online spaces. So I orthodoxical, which for people who have been listening this far, number one, thank you. <laughs> um, listening to me ramble. Number two, so orthodoxical 
was born out of me not knowing how to refer to myself as a Christian. Um, and so it's a, it's a portmanteau. It's a combo of Orthodox and evangelical. Oh, I thought Bevington's- it was Orthodox and heretical. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've, been thinking about, I've been thinking about this all wrong because i thought hey, it was like commentary oh, there people, that i don't even know call me a heretic <laughs> well it's like i'm not a heretic man well i was like no no, no. it's <laughs> this idea that people think you're a heretic but you're like no i'm well, trying to be orthodox that, well, that is probably true there are there are probably some people that do <laughs> listen this side tangent there was this page that followed me um after i posted a, a, a story about like um human trafficking or something like that. And it was a full on like QAnon page. And I was just like, Oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just full on like the vaccine is microchipped. And I was like, Oh no. I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and block you. I feel like you're going to be disappointed yeah. by everything else. That S- sits, sits back down on his Wayfair chair at his Wayfair desk. and doesn't ask yep. any questions. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a dope. Uh, I didn't. That that's a cool inception of kind of the name. And, yeah. And the so well. Of. So the the Bevington quadrilateral is what Ayo. a lot of people talk about as being like the the markers of the evangelical movement, which were um, the necessity of conversion, um, the belief in the the work of um, the belief in the work of Jesus on the cross, um, authority the authority of Scripture, and then the necessity of um, social justice and, and, uh, like doing good work in the world essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I'm like, those are four things that from, from when you look at the history of the Christian church, when you look at the witness of scripture and all those things, I'm like, yeah, I can get down with all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just, as a, as a culture and as a, particularly as a Christian culture or a culture of Christians, we, just kind of threw a lot of those away. And, and even for some, like most evangelical white evangelicals, quote unquote, would say that they have a, a high view of scripture, but it's like, it's a high view is determined by their own terms and not necessarily the terms of scripture itself mm-hmm. um, or, or the Christian tradition as a whole. And so I, Orthodoxical then was born out of me, like looking around for online spaces, kind of like the ones that, you know, like that we, we've all been a part of and that we've all found and talked about and, and really being like, man, there really isn't a place for somebody who has like a more theologically quote unquote, like orthodox orientation where it's like, I believe like, you know, run through the apostles creed, believe it all. Um, you know, I, I love the Bible and I love, um, uh, the words that God has given people through it. And I believe that, um, it is, you know, authoritative and, and a trustworthy, um, source for, for learning more about God. And, but it was like, if that's, if, if that's kind of your thing, then your options are like the gospel coalition, a co- like core Christianity or like a couple of, you know, blogs here and there where it's like, if you're not reformed, then you're not really going to get anything from it. And then, but then on the other side, if you believe that like, you know, the outpouring of the Christian faith involves justice and, um, and working for the betterment of the world and, and loving people, um, and, and making space for, for nuance and stuff like that. Your, your options are, are things like sojourners or evolving faith or, or things like that. And both of those places 
I, I valued, I valued each different part. Right. But there was nothing that kind of married the two of them together where it's like, and, and I, I hesitate to even say that because I think, I think sometimes our, prog- our, our progressive um, Christian brothers and sisters get knocked a little too hard for, for not maintaining their orthodoxy. Um, I think sometimes it's totally deserved. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them are really out here saying some crazy stuff, <laughs> um, <laughs> all things considered. But I think sometimes they get uh, folks get knocked, and they they even if they're even if their tertiary views are are not necessarily what traditionally have been considered to be orthodox. Like they're they're pretty solid on most of the other stuff. So I, I'll I'll say that in advance. Um, but I think, yeah, there just wasn't a space for, for somebody who was like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe Jesus is God. I believe in the Trinity and Bible, all that stuff. But I also believe that these are an important outworking. And so my goal was to create a space for people that were interested in being like that and, and, and people who had kind of, in some ways had been burned by both spaces, um, which, you know, I think until, Ian Harbour, shout out to mm-hmm. Ian, kind of created the the revangelical space. I don't think that there had been a space for people who had kind of been in the more progressive side of things and were kind of like, oh, well, this isn't good either. Well, not that it wasn't good or that it just, it wasn't for them, essentially. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, obviously, like, I had been in some conservative or seen conservative things and was kind of like, eh. But then even when I, like, would listen to certain podcasts or be in certain groups, like I was a part of one Facebook group where I just remember um, it was, and it was like a, it was a pretty well-known um, group at the time, but I was, uh, I was in there and at one point somebody posted something and it was like, it was pretty blatantly anti-Semitic um, and, and not, and not like, not like in like the nuance, like critique of like the U S relationship to Israel and and all that sort of thing. It was just like, no, Jews are just like money hoarding, like scum and, and stuff like that. And, the, and it was the person who said it was black and a lot of black people like jumped on and chimed in mm-hmm. and it was like, this is not good. <laughs> and, and like nobody, but the hard thing was, was that like the culture of that progressive space was that like critiquing you know, it had taken the, the critiquing of, of any sort of minority and being like, that is like, we just don't do that here. Like people are allowed to have any opinion. And I'm like, I under, I understand like policing people's, like the way that people's language is policed and understanding like why, like where we're coming from with that. Right. Like, obviously that's important, but I'm also like, we've got to add a little bit of nuance to say that like, Hey, just because you've experienced this like horrible, awful thing in your life, like, you're not you're not excused from being blind to the suffering and oppression of others come on and 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 to me i'm like that's just is like we need we need the ability to have nuance we need the ability to um to to hold space for these competing ideas um in our culture and so that is what i'm hopefully trying to accomplish with orthodoxical and 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 um i think you guys are doing a great job on on a show like this um as well well, cool. thank you. I, I, I think, uh, I think you, I, I, you know, I wish the more of these spaces would have been around in like 2012 Preach, when dude. I was, you know, when Preach, I was really starting, <laughs> man, yeah, man. you know, especially after Trayvon Martin, when I was really starting Oof. to be like, what is going on out here? 
Um, and so, yeah, it really is a blessing that like God has begun to mold and shape myself and Joel and, and you, Kyle, and, and, and now all of these spaces are sprouting up. And I feel really, you know, as we close out, I feel really encouraged about the, 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 the youth and college students who are, you know, the our audience is predominantly 23 to 27 year olds. And so the, the young adult college student movement that's getting nurtured under all of this kind of healthy, I would say balanced um, theological perspective, um, even, you know, we're going to be wrong on a bunch of stuff, but right. you know, hopefully not too much, but, you know, but, right. you know, but, but nurtured under at least healthy thinking processes, man, I, I, there could be a generation of Christians that come up um, that are going to be a force, man. They're going to be a force. Yes. And so yes. thank God for all these spaces, man. It, it's, it's really dope to see it really sprouting the way it is on Twitter and all the socials really it is. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you once again for coming on to the Moral Minority. Uh, why don't you go ahead and share with our listeners where they can find you online to follow you and your podcast? Just share, you know, your your social handles and all that yeah. jazz. For sure. So probably the best way to to follow me would be to to follow me on Instagram, which is just at orthodoxical. So just orthodox and then I C A L at the end, um, all over case. And then, uh, or listen to the orthodoxical podcast, which is on Apple podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcasts, you can, you can listen in there. Um, I think you can find us on Facebook too. And I have a website. It's currently being like worked on a little bit. Um, big things popping over this way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I would say Instagram and the, yeah. the podcast. Are and what's the, the Twitter handle? Um, I think, shoot, I'm not even on Twitter that much anyway, but my Twitter handle it's so it's at underscore orthodoxical. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. And and we love this conversation about, um, how to redeem orthodoxy in a, what feels like a big tug of war and how do we deal with deconstruction in a healthy way? How can we shift Christian spaces to be more amenable to talking about deconstruction and processing faith transitions um, without people having to run to these online spaces to just not feel alone. So thank you once again, Kyle, for coming on the show and listeners. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. Bye.